This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. It's a very common emotion. I mean, everybody who has empathy will feel shame. It's different than guilt. Shame is kind of more complicated and it's much more sort of internal self-directed and layered. So it's often I'm sad, but then I feel shame about the sadness or I'm hurt, but I feel shamed of the hurt. And then sometimes it comes out sideways and then we express it as anger. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll hear about an integrated approach to mental health. We'll discuss how to kick emotional eating. We'll find out how healing your life leads to healing your body. And lastly, we'll learn why we feel shame and what we can do about it. But first, a little bit of business. BeWell Health Clinic is downtown Toronto's most comprehensive psychological wellness clinic, consisting of psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists, social workers, naturopathic doctors, acupuncturists, and many more practitioners all under the same roof. They take an integrative approach to your wellness, and they all work with you to achieve your goals. Located steps from Union Station, BeWell Health Clinic also does direct billing to most insurance providers. Whether your condition requires medication or talk therapy, they can help with it all. For more information, visit BeWellClinic.ca. Dr. Mandeep Singh holds the position of Director of Wellness Programs at BeWell Health Clinic in Toronto. Dr. Singh is trained in both psychopharmacology as well as psychotherapy and has a particular area of interest in ADHD and sports psychiatry. Alongside patient care, his educational background includes being a part-time faculty member at the University of Toronto and holds a Master's in Public Administration and Public Policy from Syracuse University. Dr. Natalie Mulligan graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. She completed her clinical internship at the Robert Shad Naturopathic Clinic with a focused interest in mental health. Prior to attending CCNM, she completed a Bachelor of Science degree at the University of Waterloo. Since completing her Doctor of Naturopathic Medicine program, Dr. Mulligan has been working with adolescents and adults in various private practice settings, all in the field of mental health. Most recently, Natalie has co-founded Eat Well Health Clinic, an affiliate of Be Well Health Clinic, which is a one-of-a-kind eating disorder treatment center. Eat Well blends family medicine and psychiatry with individualized therapy and nutrition to provide comprehensive recovery-focused treatment to patients with eating disorders. Welcome both of you to The Tonic. How are you this morning? Doing well. Glad to be here. So today we're going to talk about uh, an integrative approach to mental health issues, which is timely this time of year. There's lots of people that are, are suffering seasonal disorders, uh, but I know you treat them all year around. Um, what sort of mental health issues do you see in your practice? So for the most part, I'd be, well, we see a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's an outpatient clinic, a holistic clinic, so the QED is not maybe as much as when I worked at the hospital, but typically it's going to be depression, anxiety. Uh, like you had mentioned, I kind of had a little bit of a expertise in ADHD, um, but also because of where we are located in downtown, we're dealing with a lot of corporate stress. You know, they kind of talked about this time of year, but yeah. generally workplace stress, um, you know, stress management. So that's a different angle that maybe not all the clinics are when I was in the hospital, I would get a lot of, uh, but it runs the gamut. I still do get a little bit of acuity, you know, but there's maybe a bipolar and so forth. What about road rage? 
<laughs> I have that myself. Yeah, <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> this time of year, you know, with, with the traffic, I, trust I just, me. I, I just Uber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a terrible backseat driver too. Um, what does an integrated approach to mental health mean? Um, it means a mixture or a blend of multiple different types of modalities, multiple different types of treatment to work together to address a mental health issue. So an integrative team will normally blend psychiatry, so that would be pharmaceutical medications, psychotherapy or talk therapy with a psychologist, with a social worker or a psychotherapist, um, and then complementary or alternative modalities. So that would be naturopathic medicine, that could be acupuncture, it could be massage, Reiki, um, and it would be all of us working together um, from our expertise addressing the biological pieces, the psychosocial pieces, the emotional pieces. Um, the lifestyle pieces together comprehensively. So even though you're dealing with psychological issues, it's uh, it sounds like you're dealing uh, you're dealing with it in a mind body way, right? Exactly. Right, because mm-hmm. all those modalities you were talking about were quite physical, right? Yeah, yeah. So so philosophically, like, why do you see that as being important? That connection between mind and body. Well, because it's, it's all connected in terms of a holistic approach, and they all kind of feed off each other. So, for instance, if uh, you have physical ailments, that's going to affect your mood, and vice versa. If you have depression, it can actually exacerbate physical, or we traditionally say our medical causes, although I actually look at all all of it as like medical. Um, I actually try to like to add maybe the way to kind of put it. It's a mind-body-spirit. Uh-huh. And they're all interconnected. Yeah. Um, so at Be Well, that's what we kind of look at it. And, and whether you start with myself or another practitioner, at the end of the uh, um, session, we talk about, okay, what's the, going to be the best fit for you? What are the kind of different elements we can put together? And the patients generally really appreciate that. And it's not one pushing uh-huh. agenda. Like, right. they're usually surprised with me. They're like, you're not pushing meds. So I'm like, you don't necessarily always have to have meds. Maybe try supplementation or see the naturopath. Um, so all of that is kind of connected. And I would add, there's another piece, which is that sometimes when you're dealing with a mental health issue, there can be these other parts of your life that sort of um, take a back seat or start contributing to. So someone with depression, for example, might not be sleeping properly. They might not be eating properly. They might not be moving their body or connecting socially. And so these are also pieces that need to be addressed with professionals who specialize in that way um, to help them have more resilience to deal with their mental health symptoms. Yeah, and I know when I'm down... Um you know, b- before I started the magazine, when I was practicing law, I found it very stressful, and I, I weighed, uh, you know, about fifty pounds more than I do today. Um, which means, you know, you're not sleeping. It means you're not exercising. It means, you know, you're, you're you don't feel good about yourself, and it's sort of a snowball effect. So, I guess the benefit would be, um, in part, you know, in dealing with all those issues simultaneously, you can sort of move forward uh, with some of the larger issues that may be impacting you. What are what are some of the other benefits to the integrated approach? I, um, so from the patient perspective, I think it's really helpful to have a whole team um, available under one roof. So you have people, so you have someone who's an expert in medication, prescribing medication. You have people who are experts in talk therapy, doing talk therapy. And then you have people who are experts in lifestyle, dealing with lifestyle all together. Um, and then from a treatment team perspective, it's really helpful. For example, Dr. Singh and I's office are right next door to each other. So when we have a break, we can pop in and talk to each other about our patients. We can bounce ideas off of each other. Um, we can brainstorm together and it helps us not miss little things. Like we're, we're both 
you know, um, only one person each. So there's going to be little things that I don't see and he sees or vice versa. And same with the rest of our team. And so that's also of benefit to the patient. If he's picking up things that I'm not or vice versa, um, they're not getting missed. And I, I think the strength, again, like you mentioned, Natalie, is being under one roof. Um, traditionally, 15, 20 years ago, what I didn't like about medicine is that we worked in silos. So say a patient, not myself, but a patient who goes to their doctor and say they want to try something else, whether it's chiropractic or naturopath or you know supplementations. The doctor's kind of like, well, I don't know anything about that. Go find it somewhere else. Right. And having it all under one roof and actually the respect for each other in terms of what we treat. Um, what I you know enjoy by working with our naturopath is that if they feel like supplementation isn't working, I trust them enough. It's, they'll come to me like, I think maybe we do have to look at a medication and vice versa. Um, so being able to have that kind of trust and communication, the patient actually really feels like they have a team. So uh, are you sharing files? Like, 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 is there one file at the clinic and, and whoever's treating uh, the patient can access the information completely? I would see that as a huge benefit. Yeah, we are. You have the integrated approach. Um, what sort of illnesses are you finding uh, are responding better to this integrative approach? Well, I mean, again, from my side, I do see the spectrum. Right. So to be honest with you, everything, you know, that I, I see can uh, be helped by something other than just medications, whether it's therapy, whether it's naturopath, whether it's massage uh, therapy. Um, so from depression, anxiety, to even you know, some of the bipolar, whatever you're dealing with, I always kind of say that having someone else to talk to on a regular basis um, is going to help you manage that and deal with the, the, those kind of stressors. Um, and then again, with psychiatry, because you know it's hard for us to see patients on a regular basis because we're you know inundated. Yeah. Um, it's just nice to have them as you know you know kind of the gap filler. I often tell my patients like it's great if you kind of work with someone else here because you know we become each other's eyes and ears. Mm -hmm. And another piece that I would add to that is I think um, having in an out in an outpatient setting, we there's not a rush to have patients discharged. Like they can really be under our care for as long as they need to. So once maybe Dr. Singh takes the high level pieces or deals with those and gets them under control, then he can pass that off to a therapist who can be working ongoing. And then when the therapist recognizes they could be supported by something that I would do, they would refer them to me, and then I might refer them back to him. And we kind of go back and forth um, in a way that's very um, I think recovery focused and hopeful, intending to have them not just stable but actually like thriving and um, I don't know meet, meeting their own personal individual goals versus sometimes in a hospital I mean you could speak to this better I don't know if that's necessarily the goal yeah, and it's hard because then there's resource issues at hospitals, right? right? And it's government resources, so you know they're going to be limited. So here at the clinic, you're going to have more access and more personalized care in that regard. So is there a particular philosophy at the clinic that you're going to start, let's say, on the medical side and then transition into uh, the natural health or the or the integrative health? Like if I came to you, how would you decide where to start? Like, Like what is the process? Would I see... A doctor first or would I see a naturopath first? It actually depends. I think there's patients coming in lots of ways. So some are definitely coming in with a referral to see Dr. Singh. Other people are finding the clinic for its other um, psychological wellness services. And so it can actually go both ways. Dr. Singh can refer to me. A therapist can refer to me. I can refer to a therapist. The therapist can recommend Dr. Singh. It can actually kind of go anyway. And I think that um, links to what you're talking about, about the professional trust, is that we all understand that each other knows our boundaries and our limitations and knows when to make an appropriate referral. 
And I think that really works. And I always end my my consultations with first starting with I think I've, I spoke about this before. My you know three tier system. First tier is exercise, diet, being socially connected. Then these other uh, treatment modalities. The second tier is therapy, and then the third tier is maybe then do we have to look at medications? So regardless of what you're seeing me for, you're going to get all of that. And I always approach it that way. And then it depends what fits with the patient, or do you really maybe have to jump to medication right now as being a stepping stone so you can do those first and second tier like things. What are you finding uh, the patients are gravitating towards? Are they happier if they think they should be on meds or are they happier not being on meds first? I mean, are, are you seeing, are, is that changing or, 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 or is it pretty much the same? Well, from my side, it's actually interesting. I'll get both sides. Yeah. So I'm like, no, I need the medication and sometimes they don't. I'm, I'm like, maybe you need to do some of these other things. <laughs> right. um, some don't want the medications and then it's great because they're like, well, these are the other op- options we have. Um, but they really always just appreciate the fact I'm not pushing an agenda unless I really feel like you need something like a medication or a certain treatment. And I don't know from your side, Natalie, what you see. I completely agree. I think I think some patients um, are open to medication but want to exhaust other options first. Some people do want to kind of jump to medication because they've already tried everything and they're really at kind of the end of their ropes. It's sort of we get a mixture for sure. Which of the modalities are you seeing are getting good results for some of the mental health issues that you're dealing with? I mean, I think I'm a little biased. I would say the natural modality. That's okay. You're allowed yeah. to you're allowed to tout your modality. Um, and I, I would say it's not. I'm not just saying. And I think the reason why is the, the scope or the spectrum of what naturopathic medicine offers is so uh, wide. So really, someone can um, start from wherever they're at. So if someone wants to just work on their diet, or they want to just work on supplementation, or they want to just look at their sleep, we can do that. There's not a lot of pressure to the way there would maybe be th- therapeutically that you're like, oh, I don't really want to talk about all this stuff. I know I need to at some point. There's something about working with a naturopath that's a little bit um, disarming. Well, you know, my experience in, in the natural health realm is is naturopaths are kind of like the GPs of, of natural health mm-hmm. practice. And, you know, the, if you are interested in doing stuff like homeopathy or Reiki or the rest, you're probably going to go to a naturopath first who will refer you yeah. to one of the others as opposed to starting at the other side. Exactly. And similarly, you know, on the med- medical side, it's re- nobody's starting at a psychiatrist. You need a referral, right, correct? Exactly. So, um, are, are you so some of those modalities like massage therapy? Is that just like is that helping people relax? Like, where does the Reiki? Where does all that come in? I think it's. I think there's um, something so passive about those treatments, which is actually really a nice thing. So, someone who's dealing with mental health is dealing with that all day, every day, and then they're coming in and speaking about it with the psychiatrist, and they're talking with their therapist, and then being in a massage or an acupuncture or Reiki, they just get to actually sit back and absorb the treatment, um, and they're really passive to the benefits. And I think there's something probably just really nice about that. And I've actually, from the practitioners, they often say sometimes they end up doing therapy. Yeah. Um, same thing with Natalie. Like, I have a lot of... So the other good feedback I get is my patients coming back and saying, I was asked, how is it working with so-and-so? And they all they all enjoy the fact that there's communication. So even in, like, a quiet massage therapy, mm-hmm. sometimes they end up talking about things where they maybe weren't up because in therapy they would have been on, on the spot. Um, mm-hmm. And for those kind of things, I always say... We talked about kind of stress, workplace stress, anxiety, that really responds well to these kind of uh, uh, interventions. How, if I were to come to your clinic and I had issues that I was dealing with, who would determine what the, pro- the treatment program is? Is there one person who's in, in charge of it? Is it on the medical side or is it on, on your side with the ND doing the determination? How does it work? I always start off with all the modalities we have. Yeah. And then, so in a way, sometimes, I know on my side, mm-hmm. just because of the nature of what I do, I kind of put a treatment plan together. I think it comes the other way as well. Um, but it's always kind of trying to put a couple things together. Now, 
I, I tend to say not to do too many things at once because it can be overwhelming. So you might, okay, let's do naturopath and let's do talk therapy. And then they might move on to something else later on. So I do kind of put a treatment plan together that way uh, because in a sense, I've been educated by all my practitioners. So I <laughs> have a feel for, okay, what might be working and what might, might not work. Yeah, and then I and that I think the bulk do, do come that way, but they can actually go the other way as well. Where I'm seeing someone, and I'm like, oh, we're just not getting the results we need. It's probably time to see a psychiatrist, and then it can go that way as well. Oh, Mandy, you're a psychiatrist, and typically you, it's very difficult to get in to see a psychiatrist. Do people need a referral to come to the clinic to see you? Yeah, just like any other medical specialist, that usually through a, a general practitioner. Now, we also do have a sister clinic, a simple health place that has a GP. So sometimes when they can't get to their family doctor, they can see one of our GPs uh, quickly and uh, get that referral done so they can get in to be well. Okay, and we have time for one more question, and that is, uh, and this is more of a technical one, what aspects of integrated treatments are covered by OHIP and otherwise might be covered by group insurance? Are, are you guys totally covered? So naturopaths are normally covered by everyone except the employees of the TTC. That's the only place I've seen they don't cover. Um, and most benefits do also cover massage, acupuncture, chiropractic, all that stuff. So uh, pretty much if you're going to that clinic, it, it should be covered by OHIP or group insurance then? The OHIP will only be myself. Everything else usually has to be a insurance or you're going to pay out of pocket. I would actually encourage patients to look at their, their plans because sometimes they don't even know mm-hmm. that they, there's, those things are there. And it's like, you're working hard for this. You should you know go look into what you can do. And then uh, that kind of opens up their eyes sometimes as well. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for coming on the show today. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to kick emotional eating on the tonic. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8300 square foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well-being with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. Megan loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. She's a knowledgeable and entertaining writer, and in the latest issue of Tonic Magazine, she wrote a great article about emotional eating. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Jamie. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So this topic is near and dear to me. 
uh, because I am an emotional eater. Yeah, I think I think it's something that affects a lot of us, like really and truly in in different uh, gravities. Um, I'm definitely guilty of it. I've definitely been a victim to it, um, and. And, you know, it's something that we can all connect with. Yeah, I used to think it was benign. You know, like people who who would get upset or stressed out, you know, they might turn to like drugs or they, <laughs> they, or they might turn to pornography or they might turn right, right. to alcohol or whatever it is <laughs> to relieve stress. And, and my go-to is food, right. um, which I thought, okay, you know, I have to eat anyways. Mm-hmm. But, but the truth of the matter is... Uh, it can really be debilitating. It can affect your overall health. Absolutely. Emotional eating is used as a coping mechanism, right? So while you're absolutely right, we do need food. We need food for nourishment. We need those nutrients to survive. The issue comes down to making the association of negative emotions with food, right? So you almost are teaching your body that when you feel these emotions, the best way to deal with them is to eat. Right. Right. And so that's a, an, a, unfortunately an association that we do not want to have. Right. For me, um, it was, you know, if I was, if there was a particular issue that was preying on my mind or if I was upset about something, you know, I would eat something sweet or something creamy right. or something even salty. Um, it would, you know, if I was having trouble sleeping or if I was having nightmares, I would literally eat so that I could stay up later. Mm-hmm. Right. So my, my bad time was always late at night. Oh yeah. Because I was on my own, nobody could see what I was doing, my wife was asleep. Yep. So, you know, that was a time, you know, I was kidding myself. You know, if a, if a bag of cookies disappears or goldfish disappears, you know, who, you know, there's no <laughs> well, great mystery. You can blame mystery. the kids, right? Yeah, you can it, blame the kids for yeah. so long, You know, Sherlock knows. Holmes did not need to be brought in to solve <laughs> that mystery. It was Jamie eating a bag of cookies. Right, but, right, right. Um, and so you're you're absolutely right that that these actions do actually happen when we're alone a lot of it has to do with shame right we don't want someone else witnessing what we're doing Um, and again it is a coping mechanism so it can be in response to a variety of things right so a stressful day at work maybe a conflict with a loved one these sorts of things and unfortunately emotional eating is a temporary fix right it doesn't help you get to the the root problem of whatever it is you're dealing with and and some respects, it can make things even worse, right? Because if one of the things you're upset about is the fact that you're obese, for example, right. um, eating is, it, it's just a vicious cycle, right. right? Like you feel terrible about yourself, you eat more and you eat more and you feel more terrible about yourself. Right. At least that's the way it was for me. Yeah. Yeah. It is a vicious cycle. And so one of the best ways to nip that cycle um, is to acknowledge the habit, right? And you really just have to be honest with yourself. Um, and it, it means asking yourself, okay, why am I doing this? Why do I choose to eat cookies or ice cream late at night? I know I'm not hungry. What happened earlier that day? What are the things that I'm thinking about that are making me want this dopamine hit, right? So it really is like a, a reward release. It's, it's oh, there's a, no a, question. Right? No. It's a, you, you want that little bit of pleasure because you are feeling like crap about yourself. Um, and you can even relate it to, you know, if we, if we pick up our phones when we're feeling not so great about ourselves. We know that if we get a little ping from a friend or a little, you know, text message, again, that's a dopamine hit, right? So eating these kinds of foods or eating in this way, is a, it's very similar. Right. Okay. So once we acknowledge that we have, I guess, I guess we want to call it a habit. I would call it a habit. Um, one thing I want to, you know, mention about this habit is that unfortunately on social media, um, I'm seeing this trend where emotional eating is almost being disguised as self-care, you know, yeah. and 
it's okay to it's okay to eat junk food. Really, let's just put that out there. It's okay to eat junk food, but eating it every day and again in the, in these kinds of scenarios is not necessarily good for you. And so we have to question: Is this self care or is this self? Soothing. Well, you can justify anything, right? Like, like you know, like instead of going to work out, you're going to snuggle under a blanket and watch movies. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, one day that's fine. But if you're not working out, you know, if you've skipped working out for three weeks and you're snuggling under a blanket eating for three weeks, yeah. you know what the result's going to be, right? Right, right. And so... That's why it's important to determine what the triggers are. Okay, so so what are the triggers that you see with some of your, your clients? Um, honest to God, it, it's honestly uh, having to do with stress um, from work a lot of the time or yep. stress from, you know, conflict with your partner, yep. kids, not having enough money, right? Like all of the common things that a lot of us deal with. Um And so th- those are the main triggers. It can be as simple as that. And whether you're... you're thinking about it presently or if it's you know low lying it's still there well if it's so common why is it important to identify those triggers right i mean we all we all have issues right like nobody lives a stress-free life or if they do i want their life right (laughs) right 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 because it it comes down to uh, personal growth right like if you're not actually dealing with the issues that are bugging you then then where's that potential for growth how are you going to grow as a person if you are choosing to not deal with the issues that are affecting you Okay. Right. So now, now that we've identified that we have a habit and we understand what is causing us to, to do the actual emotional eating, what's the next step? One of the best things to do is to actually remove the temptation. And that sounds really harsh, right? Yep. Um, it sounds harsh. But if you know that um, if you keep a tub of ice cream in the house and you're going to gorge on it at night because you're not, again, dealing with emotions, um, one of the best ways to do is to remove the actual temptation from the house. So you have the choice when you go to the grocery store what foods you're going to eat. Right. You have that choice. So it's about consciously thinking, okay, I don't want junk food in the house, so I'm not going to buy it. I want healthier options, right? And it's it's really the difference between, you know, let's say making your own healthy treats at home with refined, you know, um, without refined sugar, for example, that guilt of of eating foods that are not nourishing isn't there because you know, okay, well, if I'm eating this almond butter cookie, I'm still getting a good source of fats. I'm still, you know, getting great minerals and I feel better about that than eating, let's say, you know, a conventional cookie. Right. Store-bought. Right. Store-bought. Okay. Um, That's fine, I think, if you're living alone or if you're Mm. living in an environment where everybody's healthy, right? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. maybe you have a healthy roommate or your partner's gung-ho, but sometimes you live with kids or sometimes you have a spouse, and I'm not talking about Naomi. <laughs> She's a fine woman who eats healthier than I do, um, who maybe doesn't care about that or is disciplined enough not to emotionally eat, which is actually the case. Mm-hmm. Naomi, Naomi is like, she is amazing. She, temptation, and she's a fantastic baker. Right. She'll have a small piece. And that's, you, you know, and Lucky she, you. yeah, she is very good at, at, you know, the difficulty is I'm not, right? So sometimes that option of not having it in the house isn't there. So mm-hmm. I have to deal with that. Right. And for me, I have to go, I, I guess it's akin to cold turkey. I have to say to myself, I cannot go into the kitchen after dinner. Mm-hmm. Because that's when I emotionally eat. Mm-hmm. And when I go in there, it's bad, mm-hmm. right? Even if I'm going to go in there to grab a piece of fruit, it's a slippery slope for me. Right. And once I start going down that slope, that's it. I'm done. Um, last night, 
you know, uh, I went and I grabbed a cookie, you know, it wasn't that late. It was like eight or nine and Naomi was still up and we were watching a movie and she said, I thought you're not eating after dinner. Okay. So she's uh, holding you accountable. Right. And that's one, one trick I was going to mention is that if you are living with someone, if you can share with the other people you're living with, not necessarily your kids, I mean, depending on what age yeah. they are, but share with your partner um, or roommate, look, you know, I'm noticing that I have this habit. I really want to kick it and I would appreciate your support. And if that means asking that person to buy less of those sweets or, you know, jump on board with you and not buy them at all, um, or if that means helping to hold you accountable in those scenarios, then that's a great way of support. And it also, you know, again, we can we can start to do these things, um, you know, not consciously thinking about what we're what we're picking up, right? right. And so um, if there's that voice there that's saying, hey, you know, are you actually hungry? Like, let's ask, let's ask yeah. ourselves, are we hungry right now? No, we don't need that. I, I think it's good getting the health. I, I don't think you can vest another person with the responsibility for you not emotionally eating, right? right. No, nobody can be your gatekeeper, right? Like, it's not my wife's job to stop me from eating. It's my job. Absolutely. It's, it's fine that she reminds me, but... You know, at the end of the day, it's on me. You're Let, right. But I, I do think it's good to have that support, at least yeah. in the initial stages, yeah. right, where you start to, you, where you really start to have that voice for yourself. Right. Okay. So what else can we do to help kick the habit? So another tactic you can do is meal prepping. And we've talked to no end yep. about meal prepping on this show. I love meal prepping because it, again, helps you prepare. One of the one of the top ways that emotional eating can happen is because you're not actually prepared with food. So let's say, again, um, emotional eating is happening because you're working straight through the day. You're not having any, me- you're not having any meals. And then when you go home, you ransack the fridge, right? right and you just gorge, gorge on whatever because you're starving right Right. um and so so one tactic is to make sure you actually have meals prepared um you can do this once or twice a week big batch if that's not an option for you let's say you really don't have time to do that you can hire a meal planning service Right. right? Um, or just get a few prepared healthier soups or things that you can easily heat up um, that are made by a healthier grocery store, for example. Right. You've got like row farms, um, these sorts of places that, that do these things. Right. Time for one last quick question. And that is, if nothing else works, is there somebody that you can go to for help? <laughs> Great question. Absolutely. So I would say, you know, Regardless, um, when you're dealing with emotional eating, I do think it's important to speak to a healthcare practitioner. Uh, definitely someone who is more inclined on the holistic side of things, uh, like a registered holistic nutritionist, for example, or naturopathic doctor, um, because they they really do look at the full scope of um, of your life and what you're dealing with and how this emotional eating can be affecting you further. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how healing your life leads to healing your body on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Vital Directives is a center committed to helping people ignite their innate healing power and remove the barriers of fear that keep them in pain. 
Through changing their clients' mindset and teaching them to connect with their body, the Vital Directive's step-by-step process helps them focus, feel safe, and get immediate relief. Their process involves removing the physical limitations induced by chronic pain while creating personalized, high-level self-care and preventative measures. They believe that significantly reducing chronic pain is just the first step. Through powerful physical exercises and mindset shifts, coupled with solid support system, they inspire people to transform from the inside out. For more information, visit their website at vitaldirectives.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Ruxandra Mitria is a mind-body coach, author, and the founder of Vital Directives, a leading center for vibrant and healthy living, preventative health, wellness, growth, and rejuvenation. The Vital Directives tagline, Awaken Your Body, Celebrate Life, is her motto. Roxandra has an unwavering belief in each person's inherent capacity for healing. Having had her own experience with the limitations created by chronic pain, she created a unique process that allowed her to heal her body. Roxandra has dedicated her professional life to teaching her clients the process that will ignite their innate healing capacity, significantly reducing chronic pain while developing the skills to create and maintain pain-free active lives. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jamie. Great to be here again. Yeah. So I know in that, in that opening, we talked about your sort of personal journey a little bit, but I know today you wanted to start to talk a little bit more about what you went through with pain, right? Yes. And this is uh, a more recent um, thing that my body went through. About three years and a half ago, um, I was having a lot of uh, pain in my pelvis. And I realized I needed to go to see a doctor to see what was happening. So they did an ultrasound. So they found three things, a cyst, an ovary, and a fibroid. And after all the tests, they sent me to um, a specialist at the hospital. And the doctor said, okay, so yes, we need to do this. We need to remove this. We need to remove this. And then let's just do a biopsy right now. And I asked, okay, what the biopsy? Yeah, why? Why, yeah. why, right? And she's like, well, to see if you don't have cancer. So in that moment, I have to tell you that something just felt so bizarre and crazy that I very politely declined all her offerings. And I did not go back to a doctor until two weeks ago. Hmm. So this happened about three years ago. The way I understand the body and what happens and how an extraordinary healing machine it is, I did exactly what I'm teaching my clients to do. I took a piece of paper and I wrote down on it all the areas of my life where I wasn't in alignment with who I truly am Mm -hmm. and all the things that were happening in my life that were not making me happy or they were, you know, pulling me down or things like that. So I wrote the whole list and then I just diligently started to work through them. I changed things in my life. Mm-hmm. certain relationships and uh, professionally I wanted to go at the next level but I felt stuck so I just made a commitment to myself to keep moving forward even though I didn't know what, what the, the end result would be and so I worked at the mental level with my beliefs and limiting beliefs I worked uh, at an emotional level because the moment someone is telling you this is happening this is happening and let's just Uh, do all these things to you, fear comes in. And so I worked there, but also I worked with my body. Mm -hmm. I did all the stretches that I know. I rebalanced my pelvis and I kept working for three years. 
And two weeks ago, I went to the doctor, they redid all the tests, and there is nothing left. No fibroid. No fibroid, no polyp, no cyst. Fantastic. So this for me was very powerful and I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable right now sharing all this because it's personal. But also I, I, I realized that I wanted to share this because of my belief in the healing capacity of the body. And this is what I'm teaching my clients. I, I think, you know, we all have stories to tell and I'm, I'm appreciative that you told your personal story because I think people... Uh, need to feel that connection. And I think a personal anecdote uh, resonates better than just sort of explaining a philosophy. You know, understanding how it worked for you personally edifies all our listeners as to why you're on the show, why you do the work that you do. Mm -hmm. So you talk about three factors that you worked on to heal what was wrong with you. So let's go through those again. And let's start at the top with the emotional factors and sort of explain what you mean. Like, what are the emotional factors? Yes, in, in terms of a healing process and when you're uh, given a diagnosis or a path that is scary, the first thing that comes in is fear. So I can't say that I didn't feel the fear when, she, when the doctor told me all these things, we have to check for this, for this, for this. But my work within myself was to not succumb to the fear and to stay in my own faith, in my own physical body, exactly what I'm teaching everybody to do. So I had to step up inside myself. And whenever a fearful thought would come in, I would just derail my attention to something else, meditate, listen to calming music, talk to someone until the fear subsided. When you speak of emotional factors, is it just fear or is it more than fear or does fear manifest itself in different ways? Ultimately, it, the basis of everything is fear. Okay. And then on top of that, yes, you're scared or you feel you can feel angry or you can feel upset or frustrated, maybe? frustrated in despair and so on. But all of them, if you calm down the fear, if you reduce the fear constantly and you keep focusing on what can work, what is working, then the level of frustration comes down. You feel more hopeful. You're not as upset not as lost. So I, I truly believe that underneath it all is fear. And that's what we need to work on all of us when we're looking at healing something. Okay. So we've covered the emotional factors. What are the mental factors that you're, you're, you reference? When I talk about mental factors, I basically refer to what happens in the subconscious mind, the beliefs that we're holding that might be working against us that keep us stuck at a certain level. So if, if the belief is that this will not work, this has happened, I need to have a surgery, I need to do this, maybe I won't heal, then we keep creating the same energetic field around us that keeps us at the same level or it allows us to go down, succumb to more fear. So understanding that the subconscious mind has um, an extraordinary power then if we change certain beliefs that family, society, school taught us that we have to give our power to someone else in order for us to heal, then we're staying stuck. Okay. I just want to clarify. You're not saying that the pain that people are feeling is psychological, but what you're saying is there are psychological impediments to dealing with that pain if you're not in the right mindset. Definitely. Yes. No, no. I don't say that people who are in pain are like feeling it in their minds. And no, 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 not at all. It's just that we can help the physical body feel a lot better if we are willing to look at all the aspects of 
what makes us who we are. And lastly, let's address the physical factors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you mean by the physical factors? I mean the intelligent exercises that will change the physical part of who we are. Okay. Putting putting tissues in balance, putting um, the connective tissue, the fascia that we talked on the show many times, creating more balance within it, normalizing it, bring it more to homeostasis. The connective tissue is responsible for the immune system, and it doesn't matter what we're going through in our bodies if our immune system is down, compromised, yeah, compromised lower because of working at a lower level because of stress and fear and so on, then we can't help the body. Okay. So the emotional factors, the mental factors, and the physical factors, collectively, they work together and they create what you call the cycle of stress, right? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Well, I think that out of all the things that we talked about, mental, physical, emotional, the strongest thing that destabilizes us is fear. So that's at an emotional level. We feel fear. Now, one of our beliefs that maybe we cannot heal or we're going down physically, that becomes stronger. The immune system gets uh, taxed again. The physical body is not perking up. It stays, you know, you feel weaker, you feel tighter. Um, Now, because of the physical sensation that you have, your fear is increased. So right. you keep going in a vicious circle, and, and in the meantime, you could use all this effort that now is taking you down. You can use all this effort to start to, to start to pull yourself out of it. Okay, so let's talk about trying to pull yourself out of the cycle or the circle. What do you say is the first step? Like, how do, how do we begin to get out of that cycle, which is closed? First step is taking responsibility for your own well-being. I'm not saying that this will be the my story will be everybody's story but what i realized in that moment if i if had i agreed to go and do all the things yeah i mean you might out have been of healed, fear but you might have been healed in a different way right i might have healed in a different way that's true and for each one of us you know if we take personal responsibility then we know what's right Explain to me, somebody who's taking personal responsibility yes. versus somebody who isn't, yes. what's the difference practically? The difference is you, you step out of fear. So you say, okay, I'm going to think about this on all levels and I'm going to go with the option that's presented to me that puts me in the least fear possible. If someone doesn't have the same beliefs that I have in the physical capacities of the human body, but they choose to go my path... Well, on a path similar to mine, if if they stay in fear, that won't work. Okay. So it's, it's about taking a little bit of an accountability in order to get to the place where you can make your own decisions. My decisions are not anyone else's. So the, breaking this vicious circle is putting a stake in the ground and deciding that you will get better and you will make your own choices based on that stake in the ground. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jamie. It's great to be here. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn why we feel shame and what we can do about it on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. 
purely natural liquid greens. With EF Go Ahead Tours Canada, experience the world like a local by traveling alongside expert guides who call your destination home. Enjoy authentic meals, immersive sightseeing, and enriching cultural activities. They'll handle all the details. All you have to do is enjoy your trip. For more information, visit goaheadtours.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Carlisle Jansen, is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto. And she's the producer of the Toronto International Porn Festival. She's also the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. Watch her TEDx Toronto talk and educational videos at carlislejansen.com. And if you want to reach out to her, it's carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. Oh, it's always such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, me as well. This, these, uh, Our interviews are amongst my favorites every single month. Oh, I'm sure you say that to everybody. No, I don't. <laughs> don't I? No, I don't. And I, 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 this to me is very interesting and a huge part of health and wellness. Yeah, well, and it gives us something to reflect on, right? We can it always does. improve on our own relationship with ourselves as well as with our partners. And today we're sort of, we're talking about something that, that's more internal than, let's yeah. say, external, sure, right? Sure, absolutely. It manifests externally, but it certainly starts internally. And, and that's shame. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody has their own idea of what shame mm. is, but mm-hmm. how, how would you define it? So it's, it's a very common emotion. I mean, everybody who has empathy will feel shame. And it, it's different than guilt. Guilt is more like remorse, like, oh, I hurt you. I stepped on your toe. I said something that, you know, made you feel not so great. Um, shame is kind of more complicated and it's much more sort of internal self-directed and layered. So it's often I'm sad, but then I feel shame about the sadness or I'm hurt but I feel shamed of the hurt. And then sometimes it comes out sideways and then we express it as anger. And so it doesn't sound like we're hurt or sad or ashamed. We just come across as angry. And so the other person has no clue what's really going on. And and it comes out in lots of ways, especially around sex. So, you know, uh, my erection doesn't work the way I want it to. And then I feel shame about that as opposed to like, oh, it didn't work. Okay, what else are we going to do? Or um, a lot of people feel shame when they're sexually assaulted, even though... You know, somebody else um, challenged their boundaries and violated them, but then there's still this layer of shame, and that makes it really hard to hard to deal with because then you can't get to what's underneath it. There might even be shame towards you know what turns you on, or absolutely, what you th- or, or what you think oh, about it. Could completely. be as rudimentary as that, right? Yeah. Oh, the most common question I get is, "Am I normal?" Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, is there something wrong with me? Is there so- something bad about me if I'm turned on by this? I'm not turned on by this. I enjoy this kind of sex. I don't. My body responds this way. It doesn't respond that way completely. So we all have shame. Yeah. Like, why do we have it? Like, what's the purpose? <laughs> what is the purpose? Like, like, we all experience it. So, yeah. but, but why? Like, why, right. do we, why do we feel this way? Yeah. Why would Mother Nature yeah. or God or anybody decide that this is a positive thing? Right. Um, so the idea is that it's, a, it's an evolutionary... Thing. It has a purpose that really it's about protecting us from being kicked out of our community so uh-huh. that we hold things in so that if somebody found out that I had done this thing, I would get kicked out. And essentially, if you think back, you know, millions of years, if you get kicked out of your community, you, you essentially you die, right? right yeah. <laughs> you, it's hard to get housing and food and you just, you know, you get attacked by, you know, other neighboring people or animals or whatever, right? Yeah. So, so that it's actually a very important protective mechanism. It's just that what happens then is that it 
it stays so private, it's in our inner world that we start almost sometimes attacking ourselves. It's interesting that it's evolutionary because mm-hmm. you think with modern society, obviously, you know, the fear of being attacked by wild animals or kicked out right. of society isn't quite the same as it was before. So you'd think yeah. that we wouldn't feel shame, but my guess is we feel more shame now than we ever did. Well, there's certainly a lot of shoulds. I don't know if we feel more than we ever did. Um, there's certainly because a lot of the shoulds are still there, you know, that you shouldn't desire this. You shouldn't, you right. know, you should be this kind of person. But, you know, feeling kicked out is still very real, even if it's not physically, right? Like you look at youth who are on the street, lots of them are queer or trans, you know, or they're, you know, they're not doing well at school or who knows what, right? People are kicked out of their homes. People are ostracized from their families for whatever reason. You know, that it still is real. It's not necessarily life-threatening, but it still is a very real threat for many of us. to. And, and you know, we, we want to be attached to people. We want community. We want family. We want friends. And right. the thought of people sort of cutting us off, whether it's life-threatening or not, is still painful. In the article that you wrote yeah. for the for the January and February yeah. issue, you talk about the habit of shame yeah. and overcoming it. So, so what is the habit of shame and how do we overcome it? Well, so often we end up what's called ruminating. We think about it. The more we think about it, the more it gets reinforced and the more we feel badly about ourselves. And it just like it gets more and more entrenched that we start believing that who we are is bad. Even though at first maybe we were just like, oh, maybe I'm not good or maybe that wasn't good. We start to really believe it. And so the first thing is even just noticing that, right? <laughs> that we need to just notice that habit that we're thinking badly of ourselves. And then the next thing we have to do is kind of untangle it, right? Like, okay, I'm feeling bad about myself. What's that about? Okay, sex wasn't great last time. You know, does that mean I'm a horrible person? No. Is that, you know, does that mean maybe I didn't express myself the way I wanted to? Maybe I didn't say stop when I meant to say stop. Maybe my body didn't respond, you know, all of that. Okay, what's underneath that? Well, I'm actually, I'm I'm just sad, you know, or I feel embarrassed or I feel afraid that my partner is going to leave me. Okay, well, that then we can talk about. That we can deal with. That way we can process. The shame just, it's, it's like this whole layer of blankets and you can't get out from underneath it and you don't can't really see what's going on. So the shame is, isn't of itself. It, it's uh, the shame is sort of overlies undercurrents, real, real issues, yeah. right? Like yeah. we wouldn't have shame without the pre-existing issues. Right. Yeah. And it's often about judging ourselves, right? Like, okay. you know, I'm a bad person because, and so it's not just that we're sad, but I'm, you know, I shouldn't feel sad or it's not just that I feel hurt. It's that I shouldn't feel hurt. I shouldn't need someone. I shouldn't, right? It's yeah. all of those judgments that then is that shame. Okay, so you talk about vocalizing mm-hmm. shame. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, how do you do that? Well, so when it stays inside, then we can't we can't deal with it. And then we just go over and over and over and it reinforces it. So, you know, talking with somebody else, whether it's a therapist, a trusted friend, a partner, if you're if you feel like your partner's not gonna judge you and just say, like, you know, I feel I feel hurt that you didn't ask me what I liked, or I felt stupid that I didn't talk to you about this thing, or I feel badly that I didn't touch you in the way that you said you wanted to be touched, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So talking about it first. And if you can't do that, then just journal about it, right? Journaling is great for getting all those thoughts out there and just that stream of consciousness, just what's going on in your head, get it out. Because when you get it out, then 
once you talk to someone about it and they're like, oh, yeah, that happens to me all the time, or you read somewhere that, you know, like penises don't always respond the way that people want them to, or that lots of people don't have orgasms, or that sexual assault is something that lots of people struggle with and feel guilty for, right? Then you start feeling like, you mean I'm not going to get kicked out? You mean people aren't going to think I'm an idiot for this? People, you know, my partner's not going to leave me for this? So then we start to realize, oh, okay, I'm not going to suffer the consequences for this and being open and honest about is actually going to bring me closer to my partner rather than mean that I'm, you know, we're going to break up. And so it it just relieves a lot of that stress. I think that's a hard step though, right? Like coming completely speaking to your partner about something that you're yeah. that you're ruminating about sure. already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really have to have a lot of trust and faith in your partner, I think. You I, do. I, Absolutely. And you have to you have to trust that your partner is not going to shame you, yeah. right? For how you feel that they're going to have some compassion for you and that you can then kind of absorb some of that self-compassion. You can realize, "Oh, they feel compassion towards me or somebody else feels compassion towards me. I can now start directing that towards myself." But certainly if you're in an abusive relationship or a partner who who's struggling with a lot of their own shame and has a hard time or feels like when you say this, that means that you're telling them they're a bad person. No, you're just saying that you feel bad and you wish you'd done something differently, right? So it depends a bit on your dynamic. And that's why sometimes not going to your partner first is helpful to talk it through with someone else so that you can talk about, well, what's my fear of bringing up? What might happen? And then sort of being able to maybe mitigate that a little bit and say, you know, I'm afraid that you're going to get mad at me for saying this, but I want to talk about this. Are you okay to talk about it? Yeah. So that's sort of externalizing Mm -hmm. the issue and dealing with the shame. But you also write about accepting our own humanity and and then going on to forgiving ourselves, which is internal, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I made a few mistakes in my life. No, I'm perfect. (laughs) I got it all figured out. (laughs) No. So I think sometimes, you know, a lot of us have really strong inner critics. And sometimes that came from our families where we felt criticized for everything and never supported. And so we need to sort of realize, okay, we're going to make mistakes. It's not the end of the world. If I hurt you, like, I'm really sorry and make amends. Do what you can to to help that person understand that you feel bad about it, that you feel guilty, right? And so we need to have humility about, you know, that it's okay to, to apologize. Um, it doesn't mean that we're a bad person because we apologize. It actually makes us a really big person to apologize and addressing, you know, our whoever it is their feelings and say, you know, yeah, I get that you felt hurt by that. I get that you felt rejected by that. I feel... You know, that's hard to sit with, right? And some of us have a harder time than others because then we pile shame on top of ourselves and our partner feels hurt. And it's like, yeah, they feel hurt and I'm really sorry about that. And, you know, we can both move on because feeling shame about it actually isn't going to make anything better. It's going to make it worse. And that's the other piece we need to recognize is to, to say, I'm sorry, make amends, move on is actually much better for your relationship. And then we're working to an end result, right? Yeah. Like, like with all this work that needs to be yeah. done, yeah. at the end of the article, the happy news is you may attain freedom, right? It's so freeing to free ourselves from that heavy, heavy cloak of judgment and shame. And it's just like, okay, it's just a lighter acceptance of I messed up. <laughs> I feel bad about it. I know what I want to do differently. I might mess up again, but I'm going to do my best. That's very freeing. And so that's the beauty of it is that rather than feeling worse, once you process it, you actually feel better. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure. And in the new year, when you come back, we're going to talk about conflict styles, right? Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by Megan Horsley, Carlisle Jansen, and other amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. A few weeks ago, I discussed cooking oils with Carolyn Tanner Cohen. She spoke about canola oil as being, among other things, manufactured in a lab. Canola is made from pressing the seeds of the rapeseed plant, which is grown extensively in Canada. What was clear in the interview is that Carolyn prefers not to use canola oil. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss detoxing after holiday indulgence, the health benefits of oil of oregano, cooking with fruit in winter, and using mindfulness to evolve. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week and a very happy new year. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.